Welcome to the weekly message from Rhema Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Well, praise God. Let's jump into the Word. You ready to receive the Word this morning? Um, praise God. God is so good. Why don't we pray? Father... We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Father, we thank you for your precious written word and that you have detailed in the Bible, Father, the things that you want to communicate to us, the things you want us to see. Father, help us to see as you see, help us to think as you think, and help us to do as you do. And Father, I pray you open up the eyes of our spirits that we can see ourselves this morning, Father, as you see us. We release our faith right now. We ask you to do that as touching on that and we count it done. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Would you agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, look, I want, to, um, I want to share a few things here this morning. And, um, you know, it's so, it's so important how we see ourselves. You know... How, how do we see ourselves? It's important that we know, it's important that we think along the lines of we need to see ourselves as God sees ourselves. You know, we need to think along the lines of, you know, how does God think about us? We need to think about us in exactly the same way. And I've entitled this morning's message Precious in His Sight for one simple reason. Do you know what that reason is? Because you and I are precious in his sight. How, how, how precious are we in his sight? Well, listen, it's my aim this morning to build your confidence along a few lines. It's my aim this morning, if you will, to pump up your tires, right? To give you a confidence boost. Because once we get a hold of exactly how precious we are in the eyes of God, you know, we're never going to feel insecure about anything in our lives ever again. So, look, I want to start with, with um, why don't you turn in your Bibles um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. And that question is simply this. What, what is our identity? What, what is our self-worth based on? What is our value based on? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You as an individual, what are you worth? What determines your worth? What determines your value? Now, as you're turning over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, I want to encourage you along the lines of, of things that we should not base our value on. Why don't we start there first? What don't we base our value on? What are we not to base our value on? Now, you know, it's interesting because as we go through life, as we go through this life and, you know, through this world, that the most common thing people do is they base their value on, on things like their occupation, you know, things like the possessions that they have. Well, who are you? Well, I'm a millionaire. That person's value is, is based upon the possessions or the money that they have. Um, you know, some people base their value on how good-looking they are. You know, you might be the best-looking person in your neighbourhood, but how many of you know that's only for a time, right? 
it's not forever. So what happens when you're not the best-looking person in your neighbourhood? I mean, uh, Felicia is still the best-looking person in our neighbourhood, but the day will come many, many years from now when she's not. But I will love her more than ever at that stage as I do now. <laughs> you know, some people base their value on the accomplishments that they've done in life. Well, who are you? Well, I'm the person who's done this, or I'm the person that's done that. But, you know, to base our value on anything, anything in this world is basing our value on shaky ground. Because listen to what 2 Corinthians 4.18 says. I'm going to read this to you out of the message. Listen to this. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. Right? But the things we can't see now will last forever. So why, it, it's shaky ground for us to base our value and our worth on something that is here today, gone tomorrow. Would you agree with that? Because what happens when it's gone tomorrow? Who are we then? You know, if we're basing our value on our accomplishments or our possessions or our occupation or our wealth, who are we when that's gone? Because the Bible clearly tells us, listen guys, everything here in this life, it's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. So what do we do when it's gone tomorrow? What, what, what do we base our value off then? And that's when things like midlife crisis comes into play. You know, it tends to hit in your mid-40s, so to speak. You know, people are rocked because they suddenly lose something that they were basing their value off previously. It's here one day, it's gone the next. Their value system is shaken. Now, here's another thought. Don't base your value upon your failures. You know, how many in this room have ever had a failure? Every single one of us, right? <laughs> Every single one of us have. But we are not to place our value or our worth on failures that we've experienced in life, no matter how small or no matter how big they are. Because failures do not define us. We have to look at failures as being simply and merely an event in our life and not as the thing that determines who we are as a person. You know, there are many people in history who have had spectacular failures, but they haven't allowed that to define their life and the value of their lives. Not so much that he was a failure, but any of you guys heard of Michael Jordan? Nobody? <laughs> you know, Michael Jordan is, uh, is even to this present day considered the best basketball player that's ever played the game. But, you know, a few interesting facts about Michael Jordan is when he was in high school, he didn't actually make the high school basketball team, purely because of his height. In high school, he was only 5 foot 10. Someone got picked ahead of him who was 6 foot 3. And then he went on, but, but, he, but he didn't let that uh, allow that to determine the rest of his playing career. He went on to be the greatest basketball player in history. Now, did you know that the greatest basketball player in history played 15 seasons in the National Basketball League in America. 15 seasons. And nine of those seasons, if you read through his statistics, nine of those seasons, the percentage of shots that he made during the normal course of a game, so not, not from the free throw, right? Shots at the basket in the normal, normal course of the game. Nine of those 15 seasons, his average shots was less than 50%. Less than 50%. 
So what does that mean? He he missed more shots than he made through those nine seasons, yet he's considered the best basketball player that's ever played the game. And, you know, that's one thing we need not to get too caught up on in life is, you know, we've all missed it here, we've all missed it there, but that's not what defines us as a person. That's not what, what, what we are to base our value off. Now, it's interesting. Second Corinthians here says, I'll read it to you again, the things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see will last forever. Now, how many of you think it's a good idea maybe to value, to base our value off something that lasts forever as opposed to something that's here one day, gone tomorrow? Is that going to be more of a sure foundation to base our life upon? I would think so. Let's talk about value. Let's look at a few things about value. What, what, what is it that determines the value of something? Have you ever wondered that? Why is one thing more expensive than another? What are the mechanics around setting the value on a possession here down in the earth? Well, <clears throat> let me give you an example. I work, uh, I've got a port- at work I've got a portfolio of top-end clients that I look after. Right? I love my clients. They're very demanding, some of them. You know, they're very uh, pushy, some of them. Some of them are wonderful people to work with. And if they want to borrow some money, the first question that I always ask them is this. Do you have any security that you can use to support the loan? Commercial lending is our, our bread and butter. Right? So they, if they say, yes, I've got a commercial property or I've got a residential house, I want to use that as security, I would like to use that, that property to secure the loan. My next question is always, okay, what is the value of that property? Because we want to see if there's enough equity in that property to support the loan. So my client always says, well, I think so. Well, how do we find out? I order a valuation on that property. So I ring up the valuer and I say, hey, can you please go out to such and such address? So my client, they want to do a valuation on the property. Because I'm trying to work out what the value is of that property, right? So the valuer goes out there, rings up the client, tees up a day and time to make a valuation inspection, goes out there, has a look at the property, has a look at the house, has a look at the improvements, has a look at everything. Then he goes away. The next thing the valuer does is this. He does research of other properties that are in the same area, some of those properties will be superior, some of those properties will be inferior to the property that I want a valuation done on. And then he'll do all of his research, he'll do the report, he emails it to me, I read through the report, and I say, okay, first thing I'm looking for is what? What's the valuation coming at? What's the figure? What's that property valued at? So I have a look for that first, and let's just say that there's a property worth there 500,000. Great, that'll work for the loan. How does the valuer come to that amount of 500000 What he's done is he's gone to other properties that have sold in the area, see what they've sold for, and then allocated a value to the property that we've just done a valuation on. Now, what I want you to see is this point here. The property does not determine its own value. Can you see that? The valuer doesn't go to the house and the house tells the valuer, I'm worth $500,000. The property itself does not determine its own value. The value of the property is determined by the purchaser of the property or the purchaser of like properties around it. Let me put it to you this way. If you sell a property, the sale price is determined by 
the purchaser. The purchaser establishes the value of the property. Does that make sense? Do you know what another word for purchaser is? Another, even in our modern day vernacular, another word for purchaser is redeemer. The redeemer establishes what the worth is of something because he is the one who's actually purchasing that. Right? It's not the property that establishes its own worth. It's the purchaser or the redeemer of the property that is establishing the value. Can you see that? Worth is established by price paid. Worth is established by price paid. Now, what determines what someone's willing to pay for something? So somebody wants to buy this house for 500000 What What's going to determine what they're going to pay for it? Two things. Their desire for it and their love for it. You know, if someone, des- if someone desires something and loves something very, very, very much, they will pay a top price for it. Interesting, isn't it? Now, the verse that comes to mind is John 3.16. Anyone ever heard of that verse? This is what it says in the Amplified. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to and relies on him shall have everlasting life. Now the simple point to pull out of that verse is this. How much does God love you? We can see how much God loves you and I simply by the magnitude of the price that he paid to get you and I. What's the value of you and I? Remember what I said to you before? Worth, your worth, and my worth is is simply established by price paid. Interesting, isn't it? Let me pose this question to you. What is the value of a man? Getting into some deep things this morning, aren't we? <laughs> what is the value of a man? What is a man worth? Now, I'm not even talking about the seven or eight billion people that are on the planet here at the moment. I'm talking about one single person. If you were to put the value of one single person into context, what would that be worth? What would one man be worth? Turn, would you turn over to Genesis chapter 1 for me? Genesis chapter 1. Because, you know, to find out what our worth is, we need to know where we came from. Right? Genesis 1.26 tells us this. What is the worth of one man? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make... And I'm reading this out of the New Living. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You know, God created you and me in the image of himself and the likeness of himself. So, you know, to determine what our value is, we probably really need to determine what God's value is because God said he made us like, like, like him. You know, God didn't make us inferior to him. He made us in the image and the likeness of God. So really, to to determine our worth and our value, we really have to understand what God's worth and what God's value is. 
because we're of like being like him. We are the only creation, we are the only creation that is made in the image and the likeness of God. Animals are not, angels are not. There's no other created being that is made in the image and the likeness of God. So if something's made in the image and the likeness of God, they must be pretty valuable, hey? Would you think that? They'd have to be valuable, wouldn't they? How valuable, though? Look what it says here in Psalm 49, verse 8. Psalm 49, verse 8. And I encourage you, if you've got your Bible, rest your eyes upon these words. If you're listening on the internet, grab a Bible and look up these verses. Psalm 49.8, 49, verse 8. And he, he is simply talking about a man. Now watch this. And he is talking about the value of a man. And he shall not be able to give the price of ransom for his soul, for his own soul. And he shall travail, that means work, into without end. Yeah, he shall never be able to pay the price of ransom for his own soul, even if he could work forever. See how costly the worth the value of one man's soul is. Even if he works forever, he cannot pay the ransom price for himself. Look here what it says in the, in the Wycliffe Bible. Uh, sorry, not the Wycliffe, the Living Bible. Same verse in the Living Bible. It says this. It'd be the next slide, Adam. Look at this. For a soul is far too precious to be ransomed by mere earthly wealth. Now notice, you know, earthly wealth here in this verse includes all of the wealth of the world. The whole world. How much wealth is in the world? Quite a lot, right? Trillions. Trillions and trillions, right? And that's just including finances, gold, silver, precious stone. But the Bible calls it mere earthly wealth as if it's next to nothing. Look at this. There is not enough of it in all of the earth to buy eternal life for just one soul (laughs) to keep it out of hell. How valuable are you? Look at it in this light. You are worth so much that all of the wealth of the world cannot even buy you. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? You know, all of a sudden we start to think, you know, wow, am I, am I worthy? Does God actually think anything of me? Am I valuable at all? And yet the Bible, you know, the good thing about what I'm going to share with you guys here this morning is this. All this stuff's in the Bible. This is what God wants us to know. You know, this isn't stuff that we're making up here. This is straight out of the Word of God. You are so valuable that all the riches of the world cannot buy you. That's the price of your soul. Rather sobering, isn't it? Well, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1. So, So here we see a bit of a predicament, don't we? You know, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. We are, we are the only creation that is made in the same class, if you will, as God. To have the same attributes as God. 
And then all of a sudden, as we know, man falls, right? Man falls from grace, and all of a sudden, he's separated from God. So God's got this predicament now, right, of his own creation making us, making you and I in the image of himself, has now fallen away from him. And yet the cost of you and I is so great that there's nothing actually on the planet, on planet Earth, that can actually buy us back. Because we, we cost too much. We cost too much. So God, it would seem, is in a bit of a predicament, don't you think? He wants us back. You know, we're actually his creation through right of creation, but now God's in a position where he loves us so much he wants to get us back. He's got to buy us back, but there's nothing in the earth valuable enough to buy even one of us back. So what does he do? Bit of a predicament, you think, <laughs> wouldn't you think? As you're turning to 1 Peter 1.18, I'm, I'm just going to read this out to you, Mark 14.36 says something very interesting here. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he's betrayed. And he says this, he says, this is Jesus praying. Ever wonder what Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross? This is one thing that he said. He's praying to the Father. He said, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. You know, Jesus is at the point where he's actually sweating blood in the garden because this is the time where you and I's future is in the balance. If, if, if Jesus doesn't go through with this, well then we can never be purchased with any. We can never be bought back by God. This is it for you and I right here 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is struggling with it because of what, what, what he needs to go through, the pain and the suffering he needs to go through. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will what you will and of course we know the story you know Hebrews gives us a glimpse of light it says because of the joy that God the Father set before Jesus Jesus was able to endure the cross what was that joy that joy Jesus had the opportunity and the ability to actually pay the price for you and I on our behalf so that God the Father could purchase us back. And if you have a look here in 1 Peter 1.18, listen to what Peter says. He says this. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. You know, interesting, isn't it? 2,000 years later, you and I are sitting here at Raymond Family Church in Springwood talking about a, a, a price that God paid for us before we were even born. 2,000 years ago, it's already paid. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm, 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 I'm happy for two things. I'm happy, I tell God all the time, Lord, thank you that you made me. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I exist. I'm glad I'm here. But secondly, I'm glad that he bought me. Are you? For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Okay, listen to what he goes on to say here. Have a look, have a look at the screen. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. That's getting back to that wealth thing that we mentioned in Psalm 49. You see, there's not enough wealth to pay for us. So God didn't buy us with wealth, which lose their value. You know, wealth in this world loses its value. And, and, and other, other translations say that it's not here forever. It, it, it actually vanishes away. So aren't you glad that you haven't been purchased 
by him with something that loses its value or by something that doesn't last forever. You know, we need to be bought by something that's more precious than all of the wealth of the world, but more importantly, that's going to actually last forever. Why? Because that's the value of our souls. Verse 19, what did he ransom us with? What did he purchase us with? It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The precious blood of Christ. Do you know what precious means? When, when, when it talks about the precious blood of Christ, what does that mean? Other translations says, <clears throat> you were bought with the priceless blood of Christ. Or you were bought with the costly or very costly blood of Christ. Why is the blood of Christ costly? Why is it priceless? Why? Because God the Father determined the price for you and I had to be something extraordinarily, I can't even, there's not enough adjective to describe it, outrageously expensive to buy you and me. Why? Because that is the value that is on you and me. Have you ever looked at your own value and thought, what am I worth? You know, I'm, I'm not anything. You know, we all have thoughts like that, don't we? I've had failures, you know. Of, 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 but look, flip that coin. You know, what, what was the price that had to be paid? You remember, value is determined by price paid, right? The value of something is not determined by the, something that's being purchased. It's determined by the price that's been paid. So you think about it. There's never been a higher price paid throughout all eternity for anything. The highest price, the, the value and price that God the Father put on you and I was, was, was equal to the value of the blood that Jesus shed for you and I. That is what you are worth. Can I borrow you for a second, Andrew? Come up here, buddy. I want to show you something. Here's Andrew. Say, good morning, Andrew. Stand here. I'm going to put Andrew on an auction block. This is an auction block. <laughs> right? Now, this isn't just Andrew. This is you and I as well. So this is you up here, one person. And you're standing on an auction block. And your current owner is a harsh taskmaster. Taskmaster. Very harsh very cruel. He has a very uncomfortable life. And he's in an auction and he wants to be purchased out of the life that he's in. He doesn't want to be there and none of us out here have enough to be able to purchase him because none of us have what it takes to get him. So he's standing there in a hope. In fact, the Bible tells us that it is a situation that is helpless and it is hopeless. It is without hope. You know what that means? There's nothing by ourselves that we can do about it. We're stuck. We can do nothing. So there's Andrew, stuck there, standing at attention. Nothing he can do. Waiting for somebody to bid for his life so he can get a better life. And then all of a sudden, just when you think everything's over, just when you think it's impossible, through these back doors here comes the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he walks down these aisles, no one else is bidding because no one else can afford him. One man, no one can afford one man. 
And Jesus walks in just when you think it's all over. And he says, I've got a bid. And everyone's waiting to hear what that bid is. And Jesus says, I bid my life. And the life that I have is in my blood. So I've already shed my blood for you. Now, nobody can trump that bid. There is no higher price that can be paid. That's it. So, Jesus has the final say. But listen, listen, listen. It's not over. Jesus comes down here and says, I bid for you, Andrew. I've shed my life for you. I've paid the price for you. Now, now watch this. The Bible says, the Bible says this. Life and death I've set before you this day. Choose life. You know, God will not force us into anything. God doesn't drive us into anything. But what he does, he shed his blood for us. He's given eternal life to us on a plate. And now it's up to Andrew as to whether he wants to accept the bid that I've given for his life. So I say, Andrew, do you want to accept this eternal life? And he does. And he does. And there is Andrew. And there is you and I standing up here on this auction box accepting, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Accepting the bid that Jesus has given for his life and he's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now, you know that blood of Jesus is in heaven at the moment? There's a seat in heaven and it's called the mercy seat. And on that seat, Jesus put his own blood. Now, now, whenever... Going forward, whenever you think about the blood of Jesus, think about, oh yeah, that, that's what I'm worth. That's my value. My value is sitting on the mercy seat. And you know what the blood of Jesus does? The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus speaks about you and me. Amen. Do you know what it speaks? Do you know what it speaks about Andrew, who's just taken hold of eternal life? It speaks innocence. Innocent. You're innocent. It speaks mercy. It speaks freedom. It speaks this, child of God, son of God, joint heir of God, joint heir with Christ. It speaks a thousand and one different things, but we have to accept it because if you don't accept it, you can't enjoy it. That is the value that is placed upon you and I. Thank you, Andrew. Forever, forever grateful. Forever grateful, that's right. Give Andrew a hand. <laughs> I always refer to Andrew as Raymond's most eligible bachelor. <laughs> so ladies, if you want to see his profile, it's on raymond.org.a. No, oh, I'm just joking. My wife told me not to say that this morning. I thought, I just, I just, I just can't help myself. Let's have a look at one more scripture, then we're going to run through a couple of things. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Watch this. How, how valuable are you? How valuable are you? What gives us our value? What gives us our value is simply this, the price that Jesus paid for you and I. That's what you're worth. That's what you're worth. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. God paid a very high price to make you his. An extraordinarily high price. You know, we, we, we have trouble getting our minds around the magnitude of the price that he's paid for us. But let me encourage you in this. A few, a few quick thoughts here 
as we round this up. Let's have, a, let's have a look at a few quick thoughts. Number one, the father thought we were worth the giving of his son. The father thought we were worth the giving of his son. Let's look at, let's look at number two. The price paid for us was so great that it has, made, it has made us his permanent children and family throughout all eternity. That's the result of the price that he paid. Number three, the Father has set and established our value forever by paying for us with the precious and costly blood of Jesus. Your value and my value is forever set, forever set as being, this is the value of the blood of Jesus, Ah. This is what we're worth as well, because that's what was paid to get us. Let's look at number four. We cannot, get this guys, we cannot look at Jesus and think how wonderful he is and then think how unworthy we are, because he was the price that was paid for us. So if we look at Jesus in wonder and awe, we ought to think, wow, that was the price that God paid for us. Look at number five. Once we know that our value has been determined by the huge price that Jesus paid, we become secure and unshakable. You want to lose all, unsecu- lose all insecurity in life? You know what you're worth. You know what the creator of the universe paid for you, and then you'll never be insecure again, because that does not pass away. It is eternal. You know the Bible says the heavens and earth will pass away? The blood of Jesus on that mercy seat that was paid for you and I will never, ever, ever, ever ever go away. Therefore, our value will never, ever, ever, ever diminish, nor perish, nor decline, nor deteriorate. We are forever set our value. God has forever set our value as being the blood of Jesus. I want to give you a quick snapshot here. The New Testament, the New Testament, guys, is full. It's full of, obviously, descriptions of Jesus, but it is also full of descriptions of us as well. Our value and our identity with Jesus go hand in hand. It's not about us trying to do good here in this life to try and get God's attention. It's a matter of us, oh, now our identity and value is intrinsically linked. It is one with God. I'm going to show you a few. We're going to finish with this. A few quick snapshots. Who is he and who are we in the New Testament? Let's have a quick look. We're going to skip through. I'm going to show you. In the book of Matthew, Jesus' face shines like the sun and his clothes are white as light. And we are the light of the world. Mark, Jesus is the son of man who was crucified and the third day rose from the dead. And we are commissioned by him to go into all the world and share this good news. Luke, Jesus is the broken body. We did this this morning uh, in communion. Jesus is the broken body and the shed blood given for our new covenant. And we share communion to remember what he's done for us in the new covenant. We go hand in hand with what he's done. John, Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And we are his sheep and we hear his voice and follow him. Acts, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And we have been purchased by Jesus with his own blood. Romans, Jesus is the human life that God used to destroy sin. And we are children of God, heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus. This is all in the Bible. 1 Corinthians, Jesus is our wisdom, righteousness, consecrated and redeemer. And we are consecrated, purified, made holy, selected and called to be God's people. That's who you are. 2 Corinthians, Jesus, watch this, Jesus became sin for us. What about us? Well, we become the very righteousness of God. 
how does he see us? In Galatians, Jesus declares as righteous those who believe in him. And we are the righteous who live by faith. Ephesians says Jesus has been raised from the dead and seated far above the enemy at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. What about us? We have been raised from the dead and seated together with Jesus far above the enemy at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. That's him and us. Philippians, Jesus is the Christ with resurrection power and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Colossians, Jesus spoiled, disarmed, stripped and defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world that were ranged against you and I. He exposed them, shattered them, and left them empty and defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. What about us? Look, we are reconciled to God and stand in his presence faultless and innocent. You see that? First Thessalonians, Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. What about us? Well, we shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Second Thessalonians, Jesus from the beginning chose to save us. Well, who are we? We are dearly loved by him. First Timothy, Jesus is the mediator between God and humanity. What about us? We have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. Second Timothy, Jesus has saved us and called us to be his own people. Aren't you happy? We were given his grace before time began. Titus, Jesus is the glorious saviour and redeemer who gave himself for us. And we are his very own special people. In Philemon, Jesus gives great joy, comfort and encouragement through love. What about us? We are effectively powerful by acknowledging every good thing that Jesus put in us. We, we're with him, don't forget. Hebrews, Jesus entered the most holy place in heaven and offered his own blood and secured our complete and everlasting redemption. What about us? Well, we are completely clean from all sin and even our conscience, even our conscience is purified and clear. Who are we in James? Jesus is waiting expectantly for the precious fruit of the earth. We are the precious fruit of the earth. In the next book, which is... Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, no. First Peter, Jesus, Jesus is the pure and perfect sacrificial lamb. We have been purchased with the costly and priceless blood of Christ. In Second Peter, Jesus has the divine power of God and we are partakers of his divine nature. Look what it says here in First John. Jesus has been given to us and is the source of eternal life. What about us? We who believe in Jesus have eternal life. In 2 John, Jesus is the Son of the Father in truth and love. Who are we? We are children of God walking in that same truth and love. 3 John, Jesus is the truth. We are beloved children walking in the truth. What about Jude? Um, Jude, Jesus is willing and has the power to keep you from stumbling and falling. We, in Jude, we are presented by him blameless and faultless before his glorious presence with exceeding and unspeakable joy. Look how we are intrinsically attached to the Lord. In Revelation, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who are we? We are his kings and we are his lords. We are the kings he's king over and we are the lords he's lord over. So we can see, and look, there's a thousand and one different other verses that show us who he is in the New Testament and who we are because of what he's done. You, your value, our value has forever been set in heaven and on earth as being the value of what the blood of Jesus cost for our Heavenly Father to purchase us back. Never base it on anything else. 
Just base it on that. And it will give you strength, security, stability in life. Would you close your head? Would you, <laughs> would you close your head and bow your eyes? <laughs> thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are so kind to us. It is astonishing how, value, how valuable we are in your eyes, Father. We don't take it lightly. Lord, help us to further see this as we go along. That our value has been priced as the blood of Jesus. What a price that's paid. What a price we are valued at. And Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. If you could just keep your eyes shut and your head bowed. You know, one day Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what do we have to do to get to heaven? Jesus answered them and said, you know what? There's nothing you can do of yourself to get to heaven. Nothing. But with God, all things are possible. And by that, by all things being possible, that was Jesus going to the cross, laying down his life for you and I, paying the price for you and I, so he could extend an invitation of eternal life to us. And the Bible says this, very, very simply, in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that, that salvation is a gift. It's, it, it cannot be earned. There's nothing you can do to, to earn eternal life. It's simply a gift from God. Hallelujah. That God extends to you right now and all you have to do is receive it. So can everyone say this after me? And if you've never said this before, make it a point to say it. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus, I call upon your name now. I ask you to save me. I accept you as my saviour. I receive from you eternal life. I'm now going to heaven. I'm now a child of God. I have received your gift of salvation. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you said that for the first time, after the service, I'm going to be standing up the front here. I'd like to meet you. Would you come and just let me know that you said that prayer for the first time? I'd like to shake your hand. I want to meet you. We love, we love meeting new people in the church here. If you're listening to this message online, could you please send an email to the church, rhema.org.au, just saying that you prayed that for the first time. I'd like to get in contact with you as well. Um, and meet you and, and, and pray with you as well. But um, thank you for coming this morning. It's always a blessing sharing the word together and eating, eating the word, you know, dining the word of God together. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story that you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at churchatrayma.org.au. 
If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.